0: Hello and welcome to the Wire stripped. I'm Dave,
1: and I'm Kobe,
0: and this is the podcast where we uh, watch the Wire week in, week out. We're not watching it today. This is a special bonus. Interview uh, that Kobe has conducted. So why don't uh, why don't you tell the listeners all about it, Kobe?
1: Yeah, guys. Well, we've heard a lot about us um, over season three, talking about the Ella Thompson Fund, which is who we're supporting um, for all our patrons. And we found out that the guys at Ella Thompson Fund are big fans of the Wire. So we thought, hold on, we'd love them to come on and talk about the Ella Thompson Fund and also talk about the Wire. Uh, so we've got Carolyn Yount who is the director of development at the ella thompson fund to tell us about her love of the wire and also um about the work she does with the kids in baltimore which is super pertinent for season four
0: yeah it's a it, it's a brilliant interview um it's a also a brilliant charity uh, just a reminder so we are supporting them uh, every every penny we earn over on uh, the patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the wire stripped uh, we are donating to the ella thompson fund Um, and they um, do a lot of great work in supporting underprivileged uh, youth in in Baltimore. um, Mm -hmm. And uh, Caroline will will explain that in the interview. Uh, But if you want to to join up, uh, you uh, can gain access to our episodes uh, as they're released ahead of time and also some uh, exclusive uh, cast interviews over there. uh, And that's at patreon.com forward slash The Wire Strip.
1: Yeah, and as this goes out, we are sending uh, $2,000 Uh, over to the Ella Thompson Fund uh, and that's thanks to you guys at the Patreon and if anyone who's listening to this wants to join in it's never too late we'll be continuing to send money through all the way through till this podcast finishes which might be never
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah are they going to make more episodes of the (laughs) one we're going to do season six here we
1: go we'll find out we'll speak to David Simon We'll, we'll, we'll coerce him we'll um Arm um, <laughs> lock him into making some more episodes, so we can support we so we can support Ella Thompson fund. Yeah,
0: that's it, that's it. If you <laughs> it's for charity, David. Write more episodes.
1: Um, well, yeah, thank you very much, guys. Please enjoy the episode with Callan, and uh, we'll see you at the other side. When you walk through the garden, you gotta watch your
0: back. Well, I beg your pardon
2: walk
1: the straight and narrow track
2: when you walk with jesus he's gonna save your soul just gotta keep the devil
0: way down in the hole
1: he got the fire and the fury carolyn welcome to the wire strips thank you so much for joining us how are you doing
2: i'm doing fine and i'm very grateful that you asked me to be here
1: well not a problem at all we've been championing championing the uh, ella thompson fund uh, for the past season uh, season three on the wire we you know we created the Patreon account which is directed solely to supporting the charity um so it was a, a no-brainer i'd say to get uh, someone from from the from the charity on uh, so we reached out and you said yes i love the wire and um i'd love to speak about the, the charity so thank you very much for joining us
2: Sure, sure, absolutely.
1: Um, I think everyone who's heard our podcast over the past uh, few months uh, for season three have heard us talking about the Ella Thompson Fund, but we haven't really explained fully what it is. Um, Can you give us, uh, you know, tell people what you do there and, and tell us a bit more about the fund?
2: Sure. Um, So my role at the Parks and People Foundation is the Director of Development, um, which oversees all of our fundraising and communications activities. Um, As part of that, um, we do manage the Ella Thompson Fund, which um, was created um, years ago by um, David Simon and Ed Burns, who had come to know Ella Thompson through actually when they were writing the book, that then became the series, The Corner. And Mm. they were... So moved by her story, which anyone, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it, um, anyone who heard her story, and certainly anyone who was fortunate enough to have known her, um, certainly understood why they were moved to feature her so prominently in that series, and then to carry on a legacy, um, where they started just with, um, their speaking fees and around the book. And then it grew, um, obviously from there. Um, and of course, um, as most things happen horribly, um, in this life, when we lose someone like that, it becomes more important than ever to carry on that legacy Mm -hmm. of what they meant and why, um, why they felt compelled to really kind of champion her cause, um, Ella was um, someone who was a young mother in West Baltimore. And in 1988, the police came knocking on her door to tell her that her daughter, her youngest daughter, who I believe was 12 or 13 at the time, um, who had been missing for a day, had been found murdered in an alley um, near their home. And, you know, obviously, this was not something that was new to Baltimore. And tragically, and Ella took it upon herself um, to take that grief, that unimaginable grief that she must have felt, um, and anger um, at a city that would take a child, that um, the violence in the city that would take a child, um, that she threw herself into literally trying to save Baltimore one child at a time. Um, she became very involved in the rec center in her neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, which is in West Baltimore, and you know, as most cities, you know, things. Um, it seems as if the most important, um, you know, commodity or asset any of us have are children. They're the future, and they carry on family legacies and um, and legacies like Ella's. And we don't invest in them. And she was she was just not going to have that. She invested her time and her energy, and became this absolutely beloved figure in West Baltimore. She did that through one of the rec centers in the area, which sadly, you know, funding for rec centers generally ends up the first on the chopping block when there are budget issues. Um, And she threw herself into that regardless of what was, um, what was available um, and really um, made a name for the work that she was doing, not herself, but for the work that she was doing and others tried to emulate that throughout the city Tragically, um, then she passed away and it became even more important to make sure that everything that she survived and then stood for and wanted to see thrive that those of us that could in um the nonprofit sector or even in the philanthropic sectors with David, Simon and Ed Burns could make that happen, could continue to make that happen. They created that fund and Ella had spent some time um after being the director of the rec center, actually working at Parks and People for a program that we had at the time that was called the Kids Grow program. And she, uh, so, so it became a, a real logical course for them to have. Parks and People be the purveyors and the guardians of that fund to make sure that uh, we would continue that work that she had started through our youth programs. It was a very um, logical and symbiotic fit for them to have us monitor that fund um, and make sure that the money was used in exactly the way that Ella would want it.
1: And how does that kind of manifest that, the, the the money? How does it reach the kids? Do they, this means that they have um, classes and sessions that they can attend to before, during, after school and holidays and vacations as you guys call them in America? <laughs>
2: And we have a lot of them. Um, And we always seem to be asking for more. I don't know. Um, Well, I shouldn't complain. I enjoy every one of them, I think. Um, Especially those centered around food. They're the greatest holidays. Um, (laughs) So uh, Parks and People Foundation was started in 1984 um, by an an amazing philanthropist whose name was Sally Michael. It was created with then mayor, um, who was quite a figure in Baltimore, uh, William Donald Schaefer. And they saw a need for um youth programming and also for kind of um not necessarily management of but upkeep and even creation of parks and green space because again rec and parks which is um division of baltimore city recreation and parks is uh their budgets would get cut first um Mm. they're always seen i guess as the you know uh on the list of things in the city, I guess it's seen as the easiest one to cut a budget if they need to. Um, of course, we think differently, but, you know. Um, so they, our, our foundation was created to make sure that we could st- offer um, out-of-school time programming for youth and also to have a strong focus on making sure that there were safe, clean, and accessible um, park spaces in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, people think of when you want to go for a hike or you want to go to a park, um, people think of an outdoor space as something outside the city, but then they think of a park as a playground in the city. And really they're both, both can happen within an urban environment, um, very effectively and they're needed. Um, so our organization, of course, then over the past 37 years has gone through different, um, we've had to respond as baltimore changed the needs of baltimore changed um the vacant housing uh became a real it still is i shouldn't sugarcoat that i guess um it's still a real crisis in Baltimore. Um, You know, we're not a very large city um, geographically or even population-wise now. And we have 15,000 vacant properties. Um, And part of that is the urban flight with people leaving Baltimore and then Mm -hmm. these properties become vacant. Um, So it creates a real problem because... Left to its own devices, a vacant property can become something not very healthy for a yeah. neighborhood. Yeah. Um, so our organization focused, I'm, my tangent there on the vacants. Um, we focused on youth programming and making sure that there was safe, clean green space. Um, that has morphed over the years into really what we kind of look at as a continuum of care of youth. We serve youth. Kindergarten through 12th grade through three different programs. We have um, our, for our young kids um, rising, well, kindergarten through, so they're rising first graders because it's in the summer through fifth grade. We have a six week summer camp that focuses on reading literacy. Okay. Um, we, uh, we call it, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm, I, if at any point I'm saying something that makes no sense, um, certainly let me know. But here we call it the summer slide, which is um, the learning loss that happens over the summer months. Um, unfortunately, a lot of our youth do not have strong um, home environments to keep mm-hmm. them reading over the summer. And they certainly are economically challenged. Our camp is free for six weeks. We offer... Um, the cat It's very, very heavily focused on reading literacy, um, and it's really designed with the child in mind, not what we as adults want to see out of it, um, in that we provide character education throughout all of our programs. We provide character education, but we also have all of our staff, whether they are our staff um, at the foundation or whether it's summer staff that we hire, high school interns even. Um, Everyone goes through training in what is called trauma-informed care, which is something that is very critical here in Baltimore. Um, Very, unfortunately, um, children at an unbelievably young age witness some things um, that they just should not witness at that age. And, you know, we all have to have kind of equal footing in the lens that we use in why a child is having trouble learning or why a child is acting out. Um, It's not There are no bad kids, you know, really there you you have to kind of try to find what the root of that is. So that was the one thing that really set our programming apart Um, and that our programs are free. So they are not cost prohibitive for anyone. Uh, We do provide snacks. Um, We have a real problem of food insecurity in Baltimore. Kids can't learn if they're hungry. They can't sit still if they're hungry. They don't want to be there if they're hungry. Um, So we provide, you know, breakfast and lunch and snacks and transportation if it's needed. Um, Field trips for the kids, a lot of outdoor time. Our super kids camp is so closely tailored to the exact work that Ella was doing, making sure that kids got outside, that they played, that they had a place to be, that someone cared, um, that someone, you know, there's this, the quote, which I'm sure um, you've all read that um was part of her eulogy and you know she said a a 15 year old heroin addict is still a 15 year old yeah so there are problems and layers um, on children but they're still children Um, and there's a way to talk to them and to handle their problems um so that's our little kids. And then our middle school, uh, Baltimore City Public Schools, cut funding for sports in middle schools uh, several years ago. So we saw that need and stepped in and created a sports program that is, again, free for participants with um, equipment and uniforms, meals, snacks, and transportation provided so that kids have a place to go after school. Um A great tie in here to the other part of our conversation, middle school Mm -hmm. is the most critical age um, for the children living in Baltimore. We have mountains of studies that show that that age is critical um, on decision making good or bad. Um, And that that is not an age where you want kids to not have somewhere to go, to not have something to do, Um, which again was a huge focus for Ella with the rec centers because kids could go from school to the rec center. And as long as you had something meaningful there for them to do and someone that cared that they were there, they would come back. Um, So we filled a need for that age group, but also a need for kids who can't, I don't know, um, well, I guess I know a little bit about some of the soccer leagues in England, but I don't really know (laughs) um, about other sports. But here there are so many pay to play leagues, Um, lacrosse camp and softball camp. And you go and you play and then you travel to different states our kids can't do that. It's, yeah. it's not even in the realm of the possible. So kids who might want to look into playing a sport don't get that opportunity until they're in ninth grade. Well, then it can become very frustrating if they're not good at something and there's not really that background or coaching there. Um, so we filled a, a need on a couple of different levels with that age group and with sports. So we could introduce kids to sports at that age, let them have somewhere um really important to be um, and that they could own. We again, focus very, very strongly on character education. All of our coaches are trained in character education aspects um, of working with children, uh, trauma-informed care. Again, this group, we see a lot of um, really unbelievable things um, that they've experienced. And, And also, we don't focus as much on the competition. Sometimes some of our teams will swap players. Um, it's really about playing, learning skills, um, taking that time to be together, cooperation. Um, so there's a lot of, um, they don't really know it. You have to, it's like vegetables. You can sneak them in there. Um, we can, (laughs) we can sneak a lot of that in there where they're actually learning these really valuable life skills and, um, as again a great tie to season four you know conflict resolution um there's there's so much in the area of conflict resolution that needs to happen with the children and if you tell them that's what you're doing they're not interested but if it comes by way of playing kickball who knew look at that it worked out so um so our middle school sports program is something we're very proud of especially at that age um and then our high school program which um is really kind of a direct tie to the program that Ella worked on at Parks and People, which at the time was a Kids Grow program and focused a lot on environmental education. Um, was is called Branches, and it's actually a paid now. It's a paid high school internship. Um, High school kids really need the skills. We call them soft skills, but I kind of take um, a bit of exception to that because I don't think they're soft at all. I think they're very important um, with, uh, you know, what their next step after high school is. Um, You know, our schools are underfunded. We don't have enough counselors for kids to go to. and, And again, sometimes if it's by way of the school, it can feel like that authority that they don't trust Trust. Whereas with our program, here they are earning a salary. Um, we have, and, and we're providing them with skills if they want to go to college, um, about financial aid, about applications, working on that, whether it's to get a job, working on, um, you know, applications, training training programs that we can at least provide them with that information. Again, character development is key. Um, trauma-informed care also, again, with that group. Um, And they really, um, one of the other interesting components of that program, we have um, a financial literacy curriculum, where we teach them about the importance of saving money, (laughs) Um, what it means to save money, don't mail back every credit card application you get in the mail, um, which I wish someone had told me when I was that age, probably, or went to college, um, and thought It was free money. Um, So there's a lot that happens. Um, We don't, we're very careful in all of our programming to not use what we call deficit language. Um, We're not taking the place of families. We're not saving children. Um, We're providing them with information and opportunity. Um, The entire city of Baltimore is suffering. Overall, overarching, just lack of opportunity for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we can approach that with the kids that we have coming through our programs in a way that makes them own it and feel it themselves, then then you've succeeded. Not just throwing information at them and expecting them to, you know maybe absorb it, maybe not. Um, but it be, when it becomes part of what they do every day, we introduce them to different career opportunities. Um, there is a strong environmental education component Um it's interesting. They grow, we have a garden on our, we have a beautiful nine acre campus in West Baltimore and um, they grow food in a garden. And again, I, it makes me still, every time I tell this to any funder potential funder or, or even friends and family um, I get choked up. It's um it's amazing to see a kid who is 13 years, 14, 15 years old, eat food. They grew yeah. For the first time and say, oh, my God, this happens. And it's really, really, you know, and they come running in the building and say, Miss Carolyn, do you want some peppers? Miss Carolyn, do you want some tomatoes? I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's really amazing. Um, Something that they did. And and it was interesting last year during um COVID, which put everything virtual, we had um, our branches intern sending us pictures of gardens they were growing out of buckets in their backyard yeah, in their and backyard in Baltimore. In most cases, it's concrete pad with chain link fence. Um, but they got their family into it, you know, that they were growing things and they were very excited about it. Um, and the issue with... Um, when the program first started, it wasn't paid. The issue with making sure that it was a paid internship is that once kids hit that 16 year old age where they could go out and and earn, um, you know, a salary to help their family, most have to do that. So we didn't want them to have to choose between an internship that could provide all of these great life skills, you know, the next stage of life skills, um, and a job. So we, it was really imperative that we make it a paid internship program.
1: So, Carolyn, it seems like it's, it's a huge, all-encompassing uh, platform that you provide for the kids from through all ages. And you talk about the different key stages based on, um, I guess, the levels of school. Um, I think the important thing at this point is to tell everyone who's listening, if they want to support you, what's the best way to do so?
2: Um, really the, the best way is, um, and it's, it's funny because one of the most, uh, one of the most impressive things we can do with anyone when we're trying to tell them who we are is say, come to our campus. You know, we're in this community and neighborhood where people just say, wow, this really is an oasis for the community and, and the community is, is part of our campus. Um, but I feel like I'm talking to an audience who maybe won't ever be in Baltimore, but, um, But the most important thing for us is to make sure that we can continue to provide what we do at no cost. Um, I mean, the bare bones of it is that um, I would be... I won't even dance around that. Um, Being able to continue to provide everything free for these students and to be able to pay the high school students so they can take advantage of that program. And of course, all of that is at our cost. Um, So supporting our organization is critical. Um, The Ella Thompson Fund is, of course, then grew to be a much larger fund, which um, we do manage. And then each year we're able to draw on that to support the youth programs. Um, So supporting the Ella Thompson Fund is as simple as going to our website. And when there's an area online to give to the Ella Thompson or to give, it's just a notation that it's for the Ella Thompson fund specifically, because we want to make sure that those funds go directly to that fund. Because there are several other areas, you know, that with park projects and other things that happen. So,
1: Can you remember the website off the top of your head?
2: Yep, we're www.parks, P-A-R-K-S-A-N-D-P-E-O-P-L-E org. So it's parks and people spelled out org.
1: Fantastic. Well um we will obviously link to that in the show notes. And as we've said um at infinitum I guess over season three and we'll you know, say myself, Dave and uh Tom and Obi who've been working in, on the Wirestrips um everything we have a patron account set up. So we give people who um who want to contribute some extra extra episodes and tidbits from ourselves and all that money goes directly to the Edel Thompson fund. It doesn't, it doesn't go in our pockets as well because we had a lot of people um, wanted to support us as a podcast, but we do it purely for the fun and love. And, but we thought it'd be a great way to funnel other people's enthusiasm. Um, so I think we've raised over like $1,500 $1, at the moment. Um, which not, is amazing,
2: not, which is amazing. And, and thank you and thank everyone who does choose to um support you and then now us it's um it's really amazing it was uh a very a real highlight for me as we were kind of coming out of COVID and trying to figure out um get our sea legs back over here um when you reached out it was amazing to hear something that of course personally I love um with the wire but then to know that um that that Ella Thompson fund really does live on is, is of course important to us, but having um, sharing that story and sharing who she was and what she really was a champion for that we do every day. And and Baltimore, quite frankly, depends on organizations like ours. Um, You know, there are challenges in our city that are not unique, um, but they are pervasive. So we, there are organizations like ours that, um, really have to step up uh, and and make things happen.
1: Well, myself, Dave, Tom, and uh, potentially Obi, Ideally, what we want to do is come to Baltimore when we are when we're recording season five of The Wire Strips and and see some of the places we've been talking about and loved since watching The Wire back in you know, two thousand and eight when it started. Uh, I think next year will also be. The 20th anniversary um of, of the last episode going out or something something like that there'll be a 20th anniversary tie-in somewhere so it, it could kind of tie in quite nicely so that's an that's an outside uh kind of aim but hopefully we can make it work and can make it happen and as long as the covid restrictions are lifted and um you know we'll, we'll try and be there and and see you guys at the, at the fund as well it uh, yes. sounds like a fantastic place to be
2: Really, it would, um, we'll give you the full tour. And then it's funny in, in Baltimore, for a few years, um, I, I think they've stopped now, but they had actual like the wire tours where you they would tell you where to go where certain things were filmed. And because of course, for all those years, they filmed all over Baltimore. So yeah. it was, it was kind of fun. To see them everywhere you know they were on my street for a, a while the the western police district when they're in the parking <laughs> lot is uh actually it's saint Bridget's school it's an old catholic school that was on uh, my sorry, street that sure. was shut down and you know there's a statue of the virgin mary but they put a police thing up over it and um they would film there and and actually i think it's in season three our our dog is in the episode because we live right there and she was barking because there were so many people and the sound guy came and knocked on our door and said, can you get your dog to stop barking? And I said, look at all of you here. Like, there's no way I can make her stop barking. He's like, well, the sound guy can hear her bark. She was a big St. Bernard. So, of course, oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so there's no um,
1: quieting her down no um,
2: no and i said hey you want it to be real baltimore's full of dogs just let it ride let it ride
1: <laughs> and well let's let's talk about the wire because uh, obviously you, you, you said you're a huge fan you've been part of it by your dog at least um <laughs> the well let's where do, where do you want to start with the wire I mean, obviously when when we've spoken on the phone beforehand um and you just said now um middle school is is a key kind of stage for people for kids as they're growing up i guess across the world um it, it gauges their influences it gauges a, a huge part of the directions they go into and um, we're talking to you now before we record episode four uh so season four so can you talk about the season four side of things uh, as an overview and how that kind of ties in with your enjoyment of the wire, but also ties in with the ella thompson fund and the, and, the, and the work that you guys do
2: Sure. Um, well, I was, I was glad that it was, I mean, any season would have been fine with me, but, um, obviously season four has direct ties to the services that we provide. Hmm. Um, but also it happened to be my favorite. Um, but the, uh, I think, um uh, I will say this though. I had, you know, watched the wire as it was airing. And mm-hmm. then a few years ago, um, probably about eight, five, five years, five, six years ago. Now I watched it all again. Um, and and I, I was brushing up on season four um, last week. And I have to say, and I this is going to sound silly, but um, I, I really was, I got a little depressed after watching it. Because um, one of the things that I think you and I have talked about um, prior to today is it hasn't changed. Um, and that is that is startling. Mm. Um, you know, there were there were two camps in Baltimore with the wire. You loved it or you hated it. Um, and if you hated it, you probably hated it because it was true. Um, you know, wh- I had a very good friend who lived in California. I went to California for a, a, we share a birthday and everyone said, that's not real, is it? That's not what Baltimore's like. And I said, it's absolutely spot on. I mean, it's which is probably why some of the leadership in Baltimore didn't like it because they didn't want that side scene. Um, but what's alarming to me, especially in the area of schools, um, it's not changed. It's Mm. not, it's not better. Um, crime wise, horrible. Um, you know, the past few years we've, we've not been able to get a handle on that. Um, the youth crime, the, the youth violence statistics are are off the charts, and the testing in schools, um, which makes what we're doing um, even more critical than ever. We um, we're trying to find a way to right now. Actually, um, part of it being a reaction to um, just the schools the school system being what it is. And and the school system isn't obviously purposely trying to fail anyone. Um, you know, they have challenges with the money they get from the state. Um, you know, Baltimore is, you know, kind of seen as, you know, this problem child over here in the state of Maryland that, you know, they need to keep funneling money into, but, but they do. Um, so, the schools aren't, it's not an intentional um, process that, you know, they're saying, let's just leave kids behind. Um, they're doing what the best they can with the resources they have. But again, it's resources. Um, And it's not just about in-school time, which I think season four showed you, you know, there's this in-school time where of course, you know, you get a teacher like, you know, Presbo who wants to make sure that these kids are taken care of in ways that, you know, some teachers are just like, teach the test, teach the test, move on. Um, But then you have what happens at home outside of school time. Um, you know, the the situations with their family, those are very real. Um, we have kids who are the parent. We have 12-year-olds who are feeding the eight-year-old brother. We have kids in some of our youth programs that will save the snacks they get and take them home for their siblings. Um, that breaks your heart um, right. to know that that happens. But again, it, it's just, it's startling to me that we can't seem to make enough progress um, with giving kids opportunity so that they don't have to make a bad choice. Um, and and again, it's, it's with adults as well, but we really don't, we don't have a lot for them to choose a right path. So again, the importance of organizations like ours, and then, you know, We also talked a little bit about um, just recently this year um, in January, um, a a gentleman named Dante Barksdale, Mm -hmm. who um, was part of what is called Safe Streets, Baltimore, which started, um, gosh, I think at least maybe 10, 12 years ago. Um, He had a grew up in a rough childhood um, and he found himself in trouble and got out of trouble and then dedicated his life to making sure that other kids had opportunity and didn't choose um a violent path didn't choose a corner life um and or the um, car theft is a big thing with youth in baltimore too that they didn't choose that path um and he was murdered in January. Hmm. Um, and here's someone like Ella who literally is thinking one kid at a time, one kid at a time. Um, and that's a huge loss for us, um, in the city that, you know, and, and then when you find the person that was arrested for it has, you know, been committing seriously violent crimes since the age of 17. I mean, that's, that's a common story um, and we hear it too much. And, you know, that 17 year old was once a 12 year old who went home from school and didn't have a family unit um, to make sure homework was done to channel anger, to channel violence. Um, you know, Naimund was such an interesting character for a kid, you know, that this predestined path of being a soldier like his father was there. And, um, and honestly, playing his mother must have been an absolute hoot for her i can't imagine playing his mother because who would ever think a role like that existed right well we um, uh,
1: we spoke to um to um sandra mccree dylan Bright, so you'll hear her in season four uh, talking about playing oh. namen's Naaman, brother Neyman's mother and yeah it sounds like it like you say it was a hoot um,
2: yeah i mean what a role wow mm-hmm. um but that exists and i think um as much as we do, we know we need to do more. Um, We're in a bit of a crisis. I think now all of us in the world with losing the last year and a half, um, they're now estimating that the learning loss for kids will be about a year and a half. And when you're talking about kids in Baltimore City, they're already testing a year behind. I was going to um, say, because
1: you talked before about the six weeks learning loss and that's one of the main things in the UK. And in um, you know, I listen to the news in the states via the, the daily podcast. And the the lost the lost era of kids um, is is a really palpable and and kind of distressing thing. And I'd never thought I'm now I look back to, now I think back to when I was at school, those six weeks of me running around and not reading a book, and then coming back and starting <laughs> writing for the first time was like, oh man, I, I used to do this multiply that by however many months is, um, it's kind of frightful.
2: Right. And then I think one of the things that, um, I'm extremely grateful, uh, for, and why I choose to pay it forward with what I do for a living, um, I had a a family unit that said, come on, you know, you've got to get back on that. And I wasn't, I also wasn't competing with other anger issues. Um, You know, when you're frustrated in school and you feel like you're not learning, which I think season four showed us, that's a very real daily challenge for um, Baltimore City school kids, you know, especially at that critical middle age, middle school age, if you're frustrated because you're angry or frustrated, you're not learning because you're hungry or you're tired or you're cold because there's no heat in your house, um, you're going to act out in that classroom. So it's not even that's that's not fiction. Um, it's it's a portrayal of Daily life in in city schools and and I know again we're not unique. Um, I certainly yeah. don't want to paint. I love Baltimore. Um, we always joke and say we love Baltimore warts and all. You know um, we have an amazing city. We have the communities um, in Baltimore who are not willing to sit by and say whatever, you know, whatever happens, happens, we'll make the best of it. They're not doing that. Um, they're stepping up and they're saying, get these rec centers open. Um, they're saying city schools needs to offer better summer programming or after school programming. They're looking at organizations like ours and saying, why aren't more people doing that? Um, it's an, it's an amazing, strong city um, and people are not willing to give up, um, but they're also not willing to be overlooked anymore either. Um, they they see the challenges. We, we have this like lost generation, um, you know, where, you know, things have been rough for a while and the city's population is shrinking. And as the population shrinks, as I said earlier, those vacant properties um, go up and, we just, we can't, we can't have that. A, a city, a community can't thrive if all of the sudden part of it is, you know, um, kind of gone a bit decrepit and then mm. something bad comes in. Um, I will say we never found bodies in vacants like we had in season four. In season but, four um, we,
1: we, will, we will touch on that because <laughs> you, you've talked about <laughs> vacants a few times. Um, yeah. But we, let's... I mean, were you, do you know, I mean, were you part of the Ella Thompson Fund and Parks and People at the time? Uh, were you guys consulted uh, regarding season four and the interactions you have um, between the schools and the, and, and the children and their outside of term time and class time?
2: Yeah, I think um, for for us, and again, um, kind of carrying on that legacy of for Ella, um, if you if you can offer programming that kids feel empowered and that they want to be a part of rather than it feeling like an authority coming in and saying, do this, do this, do this. Um, And also again, um, something that is very critical um, for us is to not treat these kids um, like they're lost and we're saving them. Um, These are part of that is, is true, but we, We don't get anywhere using deficit language. We don't get anywhere saying, you're a lost cause. Come on, you know, come under my wing and life will be better. Um, We have to approach them where they are. Um, We have to talk to them where they are, what they're feeling. And I think that's what Ella did. And I think through her just, you know, I mean to grab a word from your podcast, just that stripped down version of herself with that grief that happened. Um, she was able to just kind of be this amazing um, you know, touchstone and sponge to say these are this is what these kids need. And this one might need, you know, a little more love and care. And this one might need to be left alone, but just have a safe place to be. Yeah. Um, and just being able to respond to that and being able to provide for, for us, the importance is to have as many spots open for kids that need it um, so that they have somewhere to be something to own, something to feel a part of, um, something to be proud of, um, you know, and they carry that on, um, that, 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 that's, it doesn't just happen when they're with us for summer camp or when they're, you know, at our, you know, branches two hours a day after school, they carry that on, they carry that on at home, they carry that on in school and it makes for a better learning environment for them, certainly, but also probably a better home environment.
1: Um, were you consulted? Um, did the Wire team consult you um, when they t- when they came to season four? At all?
2: Um, I think when they were, I think they spent um, some time. I th- I do think at the time the president of our foundation um, did work with them. She was she was pretty close with them, um, and I think they talked a lot about maybe from our perspective, hmm. kind of what we saw. Um, but I'm sure they must have also had some pretty strong consultation with some teachers um, for it to be, I think, that accurate of a portrayal of what they see in classrooms.
1: Well, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you said before it's accurate. It's not, this is not a fairy tale. This is what's what's happening. It's reflected in the show. Um, and what, I mean, what were the, how is the wire perceived by the communities and the charity? Because you said there's people, who either loved, loved the wire or hated it, and then depending on whether they, they thought it was real or not. But what about the, the communities and the charity, I guess, specifically, what, what was their view on the show?
2: Um, Well, in a way, um, and again, this, I don't want this to sound too dramatic, but I mean, it validates the need for us. It validates the need for organizations like ours to say, this isn't fiction. This Mm -hmm. is real and we will address it. Um, You know, if, if downtown wants to worry about this, you know, image that the show gave Baltimore and people won't come downtown to the Inner Harbor, um, that's ridiculous. Um, That should be the least of your worries. Um, You should worry about those kids who we did accurately depict as struggling and, you know, dealing with a lot of, you know, anger issues. Um, We're fortunate um, also on many levels to have Johns Hopkins right in Baltimore City as well. And they created, I think in 2000 and then and then, in, again, I think it was renewed because I'm pretty sure it was like a 10-year grant. Um, but they created um, a center for the prevention of youth violence. And, you know, I think the work that they did really said to the city of Baltimore, you know, you may think that this affected people coming downtown to an Orioles game, but you need to look at this. You need to see what this data is, is saying. Um, and... I think they did because then we started having, you know, these open conversations about trauma informed care needing to be part of every conversation with children in the city of Baltimore. Um, When you look at where crime happens, it's inevitable there's families, there are children there. Um, You know, gunshots aren't quiet, Um, families are losing family members. There, you know, that there's it affects everyone. Um, then when you add to this, you know, we have a real problem with food deserts in Baltimore city, um, where there's just a complete unavailability of fresh fruit and produce. All you have are corner stores. You don't have grocery stores. Um, so there's food insecurity. And again, um, to think of a kid who just can't, process his day or her day or learn because they're yeah. hungry. is, is we, we have to be better. Um, we just have to be better than that. Um, and I think we owe a lot to Hopkins saying, you know, you didn't like this portrayal. You didn't like shining a light on it, but here's the data. And if we have the data to say that this is actually what happens, then you have to step up and do something. And I think they are. I mean, one of the crazy things right now, our mayor, um, Brandon Scott, who is um, very, very supportive of our organization prior to his becoming mayor. (laughs) I mean, he tells the story about, I mean, he was, I think, Fifteen By the time he witnessed his first shooting in Baltimore or a shooting on his block. I mean, so he knows. Um, and I think people will have responded to that, that he's not as much a figurehead maybe as we've had in the past, which, again, is not unique to Baltimore Um we don't have to talk about politicians do we um, yeah, we don't have to
1: talk about but let's, I mean, let's-
2: <laughs> they all wear that same cloak right um <laughs> but i think he's seen as someone who doesn't have that cloak and we're all hoping he doesn't get it someday um but when you when you look at when you can look at the mayor of your city and see yourself in him as a young mm-hmm. person um i think that's probably a little more hopeful than it's been in past years with baltimore mayors and you know them not going to jail would be critical too
1: well, we, like I said, we don't have to talk about politics. I didn't. Know politics does loom in season four. But are there any are there any storylines you want to talk about that hit you uh, in season four and and season five? We're just jumping in the wire that we can we can discuss a bit in this uh, in this in this chat.
2: Well, I think um I think it's alarming, and uh, for as. Of course, I'm one of those believers, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I know and I see, um, having lived in Baltimore during that time, um, that it's very it's a very accurate portrayal of the city. So I would have to assume that this whole um, all of this deal wheeling and dealing that happened with the mayoral race and who's favor to who and whatever. I would have to believe that's also very accurate. But um, I just can't believe that. um Again, I mean, we're we're too big to be small, but we're too small to be big in Baltimore. But I just can't believe that that would actually be what happens. But then, when I see the lack of services or the lack of funding for certain things or the delay in and hesitation for the various administrations that have been in um, in the time that I've lived here, um, maybe it is that. I mean, and and that's that's ridiculous. I mean, if it's, if it's personal interest and who's scratching who's back, meanwhile, all of this is happening. I mean, you really have to reflect on yourself and your values. Um, and you don't have the people in, in your, that's not your primary interest, but, um, we've had a rough go with leadership in Baltimore the past several years. Um, our, our last mayor, was is in jail now um and the one prior to that you know the the mayor we had during um the unrest after the freddie gray mm-hmm. um death in police custody um you know she she came out and said don't don't arrest these kids give them room to destroy and the city lost its mind um because as they're doing that they're also hurting each other and getting hurt um And then the one before that, I mean, she stole gift cards that were meant for kids. I don't know. So we've gone through a bad run, um, which also I think is part of um, what ails Baltimore. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, there really are, and I can't wait for you to come and <laughs> we'll handpick communities that you can visit and and talk to some of these community organizations. Um, you, will, you will be blown away. Um, they haven't given up on their city, but they also feel that that the leadership has. Um, so I think there's a little bit of um, lack of hope um, that the leadership in Baltimore will do what's needed. So there's a real strong focus on community groups, which is maybe why they're so strong, because they have to be. Um, but I, I do feel like the leadership in Baltimore has left the people behind for many years. Um, they have focused, I think, well, I mean, it's hard when you're, you know, being indicted, I guess, to worry about schools, but they, um, they don't seem to, they don't seem to really get it. Um, everybody has a new plan and they're going to address this and they're going to address that. And then four years later, you turn around and say, what, what did you do? You know, it's, it's the same. And again, I, I was depressed after watching kind of refreshing season four. It's the same. I mean, that's that's 20 years. Like, we're the same.
1: Well, you, you said um, people kind of they haven't, they haven't lost faith in their community, uh, maybe fought, lost faith in the leadership. How much does it rely on – I mean, let's talk about the guys like the Deacon, Cutty – Cutting and mm-hmm. um, Bernie Colvin and I guess their analogies with Ella Thompson. Uh, how, how important are these figureheads in the community? Um, and we can pick, we can talk about any of the, each of their storylines as well, if you want to as well.
2: Yeah, I'm um, very important. Um, our, the current president of our, um, organization of parks and people, um, was the head pastor at, um, a church, uh, right across, I mean, right in, our West, West Baltimore, we're in the Mondawman neighborhood. Um, and he was the head pastor there. So he brings with him this, this passion for, you know, working within the community um, and this passion for not leaving anyone behind. Yeah. Um. So he was this community leader in in as a I mean the pastors in Baltimore. I mean the work that they do, um, which may seem odd when they when in season four they're saying, oh well, you're gonna lose the pastors, you're gonna lose the pat like you have no idea how big of a thing that is i mean that's like you know you know whenever somebody's running for election and they're like oh you need the endorsement of the police and the fire mm-hmm. and the whatever oh no you need you need the ministers you need the pastors um to get anywhere in baltimore um and that is that is 100 true um and so my deacon, boss
1: so the deacon then is a uh, I i guess it's more analogous to the to the pastors here as someone so sort of a man of cloth man of faith who yep. also sees the community and um, sees the support that needs to be practical, um, right?
2: Right, and they and they have, um, in a lot of ways, unfettered access. They have access to the leadership. They have access to the community. Um, they have the right to interject and say, this is my congregation, this is my community and, and they're suffering, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, what better, um, you know, kind of advocate could you have? Um, But they do, they do wield that power. um, But at the same time, they actually do enact change. Um, So it's not just about getting them the meeting with, you know, in the mayor's office. Um, They actually do make, they're they're actually the one group that really does um kind of really impart some change okay. it was a, it was actually um and i've i had this kind con- it was very interesting when um when i first met our president ceo frank lance when i talked to him about um because he was part of the you know pastors group that really put baltimore back together after 2015. You know, when the city was kind of saying like, wow, what do, how do we do? What do we do? Um, we knew there were going to be these trials of the police officers involved. Um, there was, you know, for a long time, any day that had anything to do with the Freddie Gray case, everyone was on guard that it would result in more unrest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really that that group of pastors who really kind of came together and put the city back together and, and went to the leadership of the city and said, this is the, this is what you need to think about. This is the plan. You, you know, you need to have these things involved in this plan moving forward. You need this direction. You know, we hear directly ground up from, um, from the people. And this is, this is, this needs to not be some kind of a, you know, like bureaucratic approach. Um, if ever before in this city, please, you know, don't do that now. Um, So they were a critical part of that. Um, And so that is definitely not exaggerated. Um, There are clubs, there are there are Cuddies in Baltimore um, and they're amazing. Um, yeah. A lot of the focus, again, is kids, you know, that you give them something to do. You give them um, you give them a place to be seen, to be safe um, and maybe act out, I guess, a little with um, boxing. Boxing is still um, there's a pretty good thread of youth boxing um, still running through Baltimore and the gyms. Um, that is not made up. Um, and And then there are now um, this, uh, based on, you know, the needs of the city and what's been happening over the past, you know, five to seven years, Um, there are a lot of community organizations coming forward, um, uh, Safe Streets, um, the Ceasefire 365, where they have ceasefire weekends. Um, There's also this amazing community. Um, It's the Rose Street community. And basically, they... uh, um, they they kind of got together and took this, you know, six four by six block radius of their community um, and said, No more, nothing bad will happen here. And they oh, literally wow. literally went door to door and said we're not going to have, they're not going to sling on these streets. Um, they're not going to dump trash on these streets. Um, and the community, and I drive through there every morning going into work, um, and they have citizens who come out and they have a schedule um, and we met with the organizer of Green, of Rose Street and he was just amazing. Um, these are average people. These are not, you know, community leaders who are going to stand up at some great fundraiser. These are people who said, get your broom. You have Thursday mornings. And they did it. And then the city wouldn't pick up their trash. So they arranged for their own trash pickup. Oh. So they said, you know, what day? They kind of went to the city and said, what day do you want to come here and pick this up and we'll have it ready? And they have folks out there working. Um, They focus a lot on returning citizens, um, which is really a critical piece of the population in Baltimore city um, that people have been afraid to address for years and they shouldn't be again, opportunity. Um, If you, you know what the recidivism rate is, ridiculous and if you want to address that there has to be opportunity so you can't just be afraid of returning citizens um so they
1: and when you say returning you mean from coming back from prison
2: prison or um in some cases you know rehabilitation from drug or alcohol problems um quite honestly and heartlessly they are deemed unemployable by so Mm. many people and well, what do you want to happen? You have to give someone a chance. I mean, not everyone makes the right decisions the first time around. Um, if you don't give them a shot, what what do you expect to happen? You know. Um, so, but they're an amazing community where they they keep it clean, they keep it straight, and and not everyone in in that neighborhood is an angel. Um, but. They have said this is our property and no one is going to damage it and we're going to keep it clean. They worked out a deal with um, the Department of Public Works where they come at like 4 a.m. on Thursdays to the one lot and they pick up the trash. And um, they've just they grabbed it by the horns and said, we're not we're not going to have that here.
1: It sounds like it's almost like a reverse Amsterdam
2: yeah, ex- uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, which is, which is interesting, but yeah, definitely, definitely is. Um, part of, um, obviously, as I mentioned before, with the vacants, which obviously is a character unto itself in mm. season four, um, they are everywhere. Um, and the current governor, Governor Hogan, several years ago started uh, what he called Project Core, C-O-R-E, like stands for whatever, but it's basically um, tearing down vacants and putting up um, affordable housing, not low-income housing, because that's not how we want to address our citizens, mm-hmm. um, but affordable housing. And we've only gotten about part of it right. We we tear down a lot of vacants, but there's not a lot of development happening. Um, and that's one of the things that we do. Um, we have taken about you know a total of like 26 acres of um, space and created about 26 acres over the past five to six years um, of green space in Baltimore that's the parks side of our parks and people but that um, is primarily work now just strictly through that core program where vacants come down and we put up a park um, so that it's it's not doesn't become a lot where bad things happen.
1: We've mentioned Bacon's a few times. One of the one of the key um, story threads that runs through season four is the use of the Bacon's, and you, you were you were clear to state that the Bacon's aren't used uh, as tombs, as uh, as Lester Freeman finds out. <laughs> At least but, I
2: hope not. Not that yeah. I've heard, anyway. So,
1: so I mean, what? given your experience with the, with the vacants, how did that storyline kind of ring ring with you? How did it sit with you?
2: Well, I think the inter- the most interesting thing is someone who sees this and knows um, really how pervasive vacants are in Baltimore city. Um, the thing that's interesting is it was just a given. I mean, we talked, it became part of the storyline in the wire. Mm-hmm. Like, well, yeah, the, the, Vacants are here. Somebody used them for something, um, you know. And I thought, well, that that's not okay. Like we shouldn't have these vacants. This shouldn't be a thing where, um, you know, they need to bring you know all these cops in to go tear down the door, like the plywood. Like we shouldn't have that many. And that, and I it, and now, what? Looking at it through the lens of being with you today, um, and your listeners, I thought do they understand exactly what that means in baltimore that these these vacancies are just a part of life like this is wasn't something created for season 4 to add mm. to that storyline it's it's not something that just happened in you know 2006 or 7 i mean this is this is a real problem and to just make it a given is like anybody who's been in baltimore is like oh yeah the vacants, you know um so something that we just kind of gloss over i thought why are we 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 should be outraged that there are this many vacant properties that are just either being used as tombs or um or or could be something else um whether it is housing or a park or anything but a tomb um but it's. It just struck me, I guess, now um, in 2021, that this is just a part of life. Like, we just accept it as normal. And I thought, I wonder if people who weren't from Baltimore or hadn't been to Baltimore thought, what is this vacant thing? Like, how does this happen there? Absolutely. And You know, how far did they have one in this neighborhood and one in that neighborhood? I mean, there are whole blocks of vacants. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the worst are the streets where one whole side are boarded up vacants, but the whole other side isn't. So what kind of property value is that for you? That your half of one side of your street is boarded up vacants and the other and you're isn't. And are looking
1: out onto the vacants. Yeah, the,
2: uh, yeah. I mean, so, this whole...
1: The whole, whole season four, and this is one of the one of the can kind of most famous scenes in the Why is that scene where where Snoop is buying that hydraulic uh, nail gun, goes to I don't know what department store it is, um, warehouse <laughs> kind of store. The yeah. guy gives her the guy gives her the gun, and that's because they're using these to board up these Bacons for the tombs. Yeah, and, and then it, at the end, it's this is where Lex is, and it's so the, the bacon does overarch it as much as the story of of the four the boys of summer.
2: Well, it was interesting when they were saying, where are the bodies? Where are the bodies? Where are the bodies? You know, they, that this, you know, that Marlow had taken over all this territory and that wasn't going to happen without dropping bodies, um, which is also interesting that the police would know that that would cause some kind of a territory war, um, and they couldn't figure out where the bodies were. And it's, it's just interesting that, you know, who, how they thought, hey, let's put them in the, in the vacants and, um. But it's like that, you know, perfect crime kind of thing where who would ever think to look there? Um but yeah.
1: Lester Freeman. Lester Freeman is
2: the I know. Exactly. <laughs> Standing there looking around and yeah. But it was uh I thought it was it was it was interesting to me to just think and and also um when they were in the um the morgue, the makeshift morgue with all the bodies, and um I guess it was um Cedric, who said, um, you know, well, how are we going to pull all these down? We have 15,000 vacants in this city. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, we still have 15,000 vacants in this city. So <laughs> I went and I'm like, am I wrong? You know, but we often use those statistics for, um, in our grant proposals to have sure. folks support our park projects. And I thought, no, I think it's still 15000 So that was another thing that kind of bothered me. Because like I said, we have this governor who's, you know, funneled this money toward this project core. And we have benefited from that by being able to put you know, parks in these neighborhoods that were vacants, and, and a big park that um, existed that was managed by Baltimore City Rec and Parks that um, we worked to revitalize a couple years ago, and then now adjacent to that um, are we were able to get. Um, Ten vacants torn down and will become an addition to that park. And there's okay. an elementary school, elementary middle school right across the street. So we're working with the elementary middle school for what they would like to see in that park. um But I thought I'm pretty sure there's still fifteen thousand vacants. So I thought that was, I guess, as fast as we can replace them, there are more happening, which well, isn't people just leaving. Yeah, yeah, just isn't great, you know. um And so, I don't, uh, I don't know what that means for your city. I want to say ten years from now, but my God, it's twenty and it's not changed. So, what does what does that look like ten years from now in Baltimore?
1: In season four, you have the storyline where Bunny Colvin, obviously, he's, he's uh, fallen from grace as the mayor, but he kind of steps in to take to help helm and run this this special program, which involves Naaman, mm-hmm. Bryce, and and a, a few selected uh, troublesome kids. Does that kind of um, does that kind of scheme? happen and do they work do they have any impact
2: um i think i think the schools do try to address it but i i don't think they're as intentional as that program is where they Mm -hmm. handpick kids um, and pull them out um i do know there are some um community-led um programs for, I think what they see as um, at-risk youth um, and even youth that might have been asked not to return to school. Um, So I think, unfortunately, we're not probably addressing it until it becomes a real problem, and it can be addressed even by a third party, not necessarily parents or the school. Um, But I do know that the schools have taken a much harder line with keeping the student to teacher ratio lower. I think um, years ago, it was pretty bad. I mean, we were hearing like, you know, 35 kids in a class with one teacher, um, and now that's, I think, 17 to 1. Oh, okay. Um, Wow.
1: That's a huge difference. So
2: I think they realized that you you couldn't you couldn't possibly manage especially you know um different age certain age groups that you you couldn't manage class sizes that high. So I think they wanted to address it maybe um just kind of holistically across mm-hmm. the whole school system that the student to teacher ratio had to go down so that there was more individualized attention. Um I think they also started employing um Some different approaches, a lot of it based on some work that, again, had been done with Hopkins um, to make sure that they were also um, teaching. With a trauma informed care lens, um, instead of oh here comes the, my problem third period class, um, why is it a problem? You know, um, so I think I think they've done that. There was a hiring problem for a while um, in Baltimore City Schools, and that seems to have abated a little bit now. Probably again based on that reduced um, student to teacher ratio. You know, it's got to be hard for a teacher to deal with 35 kids in a class, you know. Um, But as far as the whole testing thing, um, I don't know if that... I know testing is the focus. Um, I have a friend who's a teacher actually in California, and she laments every year that the testing, the testing, the testing, like it takes part of your curriculum and the kids want nothing to do with it, you know, because it is very true. You hit that stride with them, um, in whatever that, you know, their lesson of that you're working on. And then you have to stop to make sure that the testing is, is shoved down their throat in such a way. And, um, of course they don't, they don't want to see that. They don't want to hear that. So I think there's less of a focus on that now, um, as it was, Um, I just, I don't know enough about the testing in the city schools to know if it really, if that was pretty true to form. Um, But I do know from kind of a personal experience with a friend that it you know, they really do focus on the test. Um, And it is a way to evaluate the kids. But then I think there are some other measures that are in place that evaluate them throughout the year with where they enter and where they exit at the end of the year. So it's not that one standardized fill in the bubble test um, that makes or breaks any statistic or student moving on.
1: Um, Should we we run through each of the the boys of summer and talk about their story arcs and things that kind of uh, stand out to you? anything you want to anything you want to tip you want to pick out does that make sense sure so let's go let's start with Naaman, because you talked about Naaman's mom uh Sandy and Sandy McRae um name and also that ties in with the previous question about the Naaman was the guy from from the from the from the, from the gang of four that was pulled out as a highlight as a troublemaker um what, what do you think to Naaman's storyline
2: I I will say, um, I mean, I feel bad saying this at all, but um, I do feel like Naaman may be the only part of that storyline that maybe we did put on a little bit. There's never a happy ending at The Wire, Mm. you know, with The Wire. But I feel like... um, in most cases, Naaman would not have been saved. Um, his parents would not have given up the ghost that he was going to provide for the family and follow in the father's footsteps and let someone else come in and let him be all he could be, so to speak. Um, so I feel like if if anyone maybe went off book a little and, and maybe that was you know that was the you know artistic license coming to the fore at all um, that maybe. That would happen, or or let's hope that it would. Let's have hope that um, one kid could be saved in that way. Um, but I felt like um, I, I will say this too, and I I don't know that I appreciated this before. Um, but the acting job that that young man did for that role um, yeah. to That's be so problem. torn, you know, to be so torn about mm-hmm. I'm not this bad guy. You know, I don't want to fight. I don't, I, you know, I talk tough, um, you know, but I, I don't want to be tough. Um, I think was, that was, I don't, I don't think I truly appreciated enough, um, in my first go round, um, or second, uh, with the, with season four to, um, appreciate the job that he did there. But then again, I think Naaman's arc is why we all do what we do you know, we want to have the next name and we want to, you know, we want to be a part of that. We want to be someone that even if they don't say it out loud, we know we can point to that kid and say, wow, you know, he was maybe headed down a really bad path, but we were here. We provided opportunity. Someone cared. Someone told yep. him he didn't have to be this. He could be anything. Um, and I thought, well, maybe that's why we do what we do, right?
1: I love that line when... um Weebe and um, and his mo- and his wife Delanda, whose who's name and mom, um, they have that tête-à-tête in, in the prison where Weebe's at. That's obviously the trajectory that that we're kind of following for Neyman if he doesn't veer off it. And yeah. Weebe just says to Delonda, based on what based on conversation with, with Bonnie Colvin, the man says he can be anything he wants to be, and that's what you're saying there. You just kind of you see the potential in these kids and the potential is, is kind of ebbed and, and taken away, not because of their intelligence, but because of the circumstances and you're mm-hmm. trying to readdress the balance there. Um, yes. And that's that line still, you know, when, whenever I hear him say that, or that, I hear that line read, it just kind of breaks my heart. And I think it doesn't just apply to Naaman, but it applies to yeah everyone if they're given the opportunity.
2: Right. Well, because it took that happening for them as parents of him to say that to each other Mm. you know like it took that happening a someone else coming in to say he could be anything you know we were lucky enough to grow up knowing that you know that was innate like you could be anything you wanted to be um but they had to decide they had to make that decision that he could be anything he wanted to be because it was predestined in another way so yeah very interesting
1: um dookie um, oh
2: Dookie. <laughs> oh, I love Dookie. Um, I will say Dookie is uh Dookie is probably more prevalent in Baltimore City than any of us want to admit. Mm. Um we have uh, we have what are called squeegee kids in Baltimore. Do you know what those are?
1: I don't.
2: I don't. Um, so, a lot of the larger intersections in Baltimore, you pull up at the red light, and there are uh, oh yeah the boys yeah. who come and wash your window. Sure. Um, and you know there are a lot of people who work in the city who come from you know the county or wherever, and you know they're threatening and they don't want them there. And um, but uh, I tried to talk to them. Um, some I most of them I give food. I don't give them money, sometimes money, um, but I keep, uh, well, they request certain things now, but, um, I keep, um, like kind bars and things in the car and, and give them something to take home. And, um, I became friendly with one of my, uh, my guy, uh, DeAndre, he's 12 years old. Um, he's 12 years old. His brother, who is 14, also works that same intersection with him. And um, his brother takes his money. If you give him money, his brother will come right over. His his brother's not as friendly. And he will come over and take it right from him. So, um, And he, after a year, is Miss Carolyn and would say, can I have a hug? And he told, told me today was his birthday. And here's a kid who... Sits on a street corner washing windshield to maybe get 50 cents that his brother may or may not take from him. Um, and he does it anyway because he doesn't have any other means for anything. Um, and that uh, many days would make me cry as I pulled away um, and worried for him, you know, and he's in his school uniform he's in his khakis and his and his polo Mm -hmm. so he's coming right from school um and i often thought of season four of the wire with um with the boys on the corner and people are mean to them and they see that as again as i said threatening in some way instead of kind of opening your mind. Do you think he wants to be out here doing this <laughs> if he had any other way? Mm. Um, and then when I see this dynamic, um, it makes me think a little bit of Dookie that anything he would get charity wise from the principal or assistant principal or, or anyone his, his family would take from him and, and sell um, or whatever. So I think there's too much of him probably more than we want to know. Um, you will see the kids that are um, you can tell are not don't have a great home situation. Um, and that is, you know, like our, our building, our um, campus, the main building where our branches interns come, you know, there's, we're a lead platinum, very sustainable, solar powered. Um, and we have by virtue of that, we have two bathrooms that are sol- single solitary, not group bathrooms that have showers in them. Um, and one of the things that some of our uh, staff noticed right away was there were kids that would come and shower there as soon as they got there. So, I think Dookie is more real and probably more um, prevalent than any of us want to admit. Because sure. I don't, I don't can't imagine
1: um well let's go to michael
2: michael is the poster boy for why we teach trauma-informed care um michael was damaged as a young man and there was no one to save him the damage Mm -hmm. kept happening and kept happening and then it's like scar tissue um he became just that you know just rock solid through and through with No feeling, no compassion, except for his brother, which is the interest, which is the genius of David Simon that he can turn into this stone killer, but yet, bug is his priority. Um, So, uh, but that is, he is the reason that we have to approach the youth in Baltimore the way that we do, um, because of what they have experienced. And, and it's not some kumbaya where you get a kid in sixth grade who's going to tell you what horrible things happened to him at home by virtue of the mother, the mother's boyfriend, um, just the street in general. Um, there's, that's not going to happen. You have to watch for those signs. You have to have your staff trained, um, even if they're just a summer you know, counselor. Um, they have to watch for those signs. And you're not always going to get this kid to sit in a nice little circle and tell you what happened um but you can certainly approach that child differently and and teach them and and respect them in a way that they can get there on their own um because you're not always going to have that opportunity look at michael i mean presbo tried to you know come on i mean he got him close to talking you know like you were like come on come on tell him and and it it just it doesn't so i think that's also um a very realistic uh, character, um, a very realistic representation of a lot of the kids. They all think, are. They I all are. Also,
1: um, Cutty Michael's very way of Cutty as a as a as a grown up as seeing as someone who could potentially cause him harm and also bug harm as well. So it, yeah. that kind of it kind of um, that situation. Cutty was a bit of a philanderer with, with the ladies, but I, I think his intention with the kids was 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 pure and right. Right. Um, but but but
2: michael's lens was the opposite michael's michael's lens was i've seen this before i've seen the man who comes in you know smiling with you know let's you know let's be friends and Mm -hmm. you know i'll take care of you and you know you can always come to me i mean to him that wasn't help that was harm um yeah yeah exactly
1: um and the last kid uh of the boys of summer randy
2: Oh, Randy. Randy just breaks your heart, too. Um, And again, you know, Randy is part of um, a larger issue in Baltimore, which, of course, again, the genius of David Simon to address it through a middle school kid, this snitching culture, Mm. um, which is a huge problem in Baltimore um, and why we have kind of a lot of repeat crimes, because when, you know, there's witness intimidation and there's um, threats, there's attacks on people, Um, you know, the burning of the house. I mean, we had one last year, um, you know, that was supposed to testify. So it still happens. Um, But for them to to illustrate that through a child um who really didn't feel that he was snitching he didn't Mm. he didn't see anything he wasn't like i thought the most important thing was when lester said he's a source he's not a witness Mm. um you know he couldn't really do harm to anyone he just kind of you know by way of what he did know pointed them into a, a direction that they were really already headed anyway um other than I guess being able to say that they had heard on the street about the vacants or whatever. Um, but I mean, to have him say, he's not a witness, he's a source. And then of course, you know, big dumb Herc screwed the whole thing up and got him outed. Um, but, but I thought it was, um, I thought it was an important portrayal of a young man, a young kid who wanted to do the right thing, who was, um, who was without this kind of life that he was now seeing for himself with miss Anna and didn't want to do anything to screw that up. So the thought of, you know, getting in trouble to the point that she, you know, might not continue to be his foster parent, um, you know, that meant something to him. So, so he had a, he kind of had this values approach, you know, like that he had to do the right thing, um, with the, character education you know he felt you know he was learning this he was fortunate to be in that situation and he wanted to do the right thing but he didn't think it was so bad that he would you know get outed on the street but again the genius to illustrate that snitching culture through a child Um, the
1: the, the thing about randy also uh, as you said he has he has miss anna as a foster parent which means that prior to that he's gone through some struggles and at the start of season four he's you know, he's a bright, happy kid. He's selling, he's selling uh, candy, selling sweets to to um, to make some money, and also, have, you know, it's part of his entrepreneurial kind of style. Um, so he's gone through some troubles already. It seems kind of settled now with Miss Anna, and then it takes another turn. So it shows there are yeah. ways and measures to help, but also this, that doesn't. It still needs to be continually supported. It still needs to be continually um, looked after.
2: Right. Right. And it's and it's the other thing I found very interesting about his character was he was on the fringe of of being involved in pretty bad things, pretty bad decisions with being the lookout Mm -hmm. with the boys, um, with the girl in the bathroom and, you know, just on kind of the periphery of some of the things. But it's like he knew enough that he didn't want to be two feet Mm -hmm. in. the bad world, you know, making the bad, he, he, exactly. He was, he, because, but look at his friends. I mean, his, he had to, that's his group. I mean, you don't get to pick and choose that now you're going to go hang out with the kids that go to private school in Baltimore. Um, This, this is, these are your boys. This is your unit, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So you, you can't just sit there and all of a sudden be the, you know, the, one who says, Oh no, we shouldn't do that. You know? So, but I thought he was, um, and again, to his ingenuity, um, of being a little entrepreneur, he, he could stay on the periphery of that. Um, which I thought was, there's layers, there's layers to those boys, just tons of layers. And to do that with eighth graders, I mean, that is genius, isn't it? I mean, the, there are shows that don't develop those depth that depth of character with forty year olds, or you know what I mean. These are kids, and they just put these layers on them. You you laughed, you cried. You're saying no, no, no at the TV. You know, um, that's genius. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also why it makes me angry that our our beloved show was not more critically acclaimed at the time, but.
1: Well, Miss Carolyn, as you referred to yourself as with uh, in with Miss <laughs> <with Ms>. Anna. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um thank you so much for spending the time talking to us about the wire and also the Ella Thompson Fund and, the, and Parks and People. Um so people can go to if they want to donate directly they can go to parksandpeople.org, is that right? Yep. Uh, and 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 signify it for Ella Thompson Fund. Uh, yep. Alternative, if people want to like say Again, if you do want to uh, donate to us, go to um, patreon.com forward slash the strips and all the money that goes sent there goes directly to the L. Thompson Fund as well. Um, and yeah, hopefully we'll, we will, myself, Dave, Tom and I, and uh, we'll get out to Baltimore and see the good work you doing. and we'll you know share the pictures, images and videos and audio with everyone else who's listening.
2: Yep, I will start planning an itinerary for you, just Fantastic. in anticipation of of your visit someday. Some things I'd like you to see, and certainly um, to come to see our our campus. And um, And if it's in the summer, we'll take you to some of our youth programs as they're happening. Yeah, I
1: don't like to be cold, um, so that's that's better for me.
2: <laughs> well, I will warn you. Um, it is we are in Maryland, so warm also means humid. So that's why we're,
1: we're in just you are just in the UK here. There's nothing one means meh um so we're well and
2: i'm i was actually planning a trip to um england last year oh. um that got covid cancelled so it was my um 50th birthday trip oh, okay. um was to england which was delayed until may which you will understand for obvious reasons it was for a parade but um that didn't happen because covid happened so i didn't get to see the liverpool victory parade so, but that was that was supposed to be my 50th birthday so, present
1: for those keep those people who find a bit subtle Callin is, is is a soccer or football supporter uh, and of my team as well liverpool uh, and yep. also you seem keen to watch uh, england scotland play today in the european yeah. championships which is for, for us I mean, genuinely as a as a as a brit it's funny hearing the guys from the, the other side of the pond talking about football in, in the way you have done uh, to me yes. so it's good
2: well i'm a i'm a stratford by birth so um when choosing my international squad um i certainly was going to go with england so <laughs> as much like as much of my beloved city american soccer also has its challenges so if i want to watch real football with you, um i prefer england so
1: fantastic thank you so much for your time it's been an absolute pleasure
2: Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for your support of the Ella Thompson Fund. It really is important. And we are very grateful for it.
0: Right. That's all we've got for you today. Just a a reminder, uh, just to say it again, you can support uh, all the great work that Caroline and the team are doing at the Ella Thompson Fund uh, either by supporting them directly or you could mm-hmm. do it via our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash The Wire Strip, where we're donating uh, 100% of everything we make to the Yellow Thompson Fund.
1: Yeah, it's uh, super important. We're super glad that we can support them. And also we're super glad that the guys there are fans of The Wire, uh, which means we can bring them on. And hope you've enjoyed a lot of the insight that Carolyn's brought to us um, about the, the kids, of you know, the boys of summer, Randy, Michael, um, Dookie, and name and and on their ilk so it's been uh, it was great to catch up with um carolyn and show that the work that she's doing directly positively affects people like them we do want you to keep in contact with us um from now until season four comes out we will be putting stuff out on our social media uh that's mainly instagram and twitter at the wire stripped um on the, both of those channels and uh, if you want to email us dave what's our email address
0: it's uh, producers at the wirestripped.com and uh, me and Kobe are starting to watch season 4 right now and we're going to start recording so it is coming and we'll try not to make you wait as long as you d- we did last time
1: yeah we have got a plan to try and make sure we get seasons 4 and 5 out by easter next year so that's us kind of just painted ourselves into a corner there uh, so that's that's what we're going to try and do yeah. <laughs> For our own sanity more we than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> well, cheers, guys. Thank you very much. Bye, everyone. Bye.